welcome to a bonus episode of the Undead Wookiee podcast. The Undead Wookiee is a fortnightly-ish podcast focused on horror and sci-fi, but there will be times where we dip into other genres because here at the Undead Wookiee, our nerdiness knows no bounds. Hello, I am your host as always, Hugh Lloyd, and welcome to the very first bonus episode of 2021. On this episode, I will be interviewing Welsh spooktacular author, the one, the only, Catherine McCarthy. So let's get to that interview right now. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen, and I am joined by a very, very special guest on this episode, this bonus episode, I should say. I am joined by Welsh author, Catherine McCarthy. Hello, Catherine. How are you? Morning, Hugh. I'm fine, thanks. And thank you so much for inviting me on here today. That's no problem at all. And it's funny how we still keep the pretense of we've had absolutely no conversation prior <laughs> to recording. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> thank you so much for agreeing to be, uh, for coming on. Um, I'm thrilled. First off, I want to say I thoroughly enjoyed The Door. Oh, thanks. Uh, your collection of short stories. I loved it. Um, I, I, I gotta be honest, I loved The Door. I thought that was a genuinely creepy um story that really it, it gets under your skin yeah um, and actually you know it's depending on where you're sort of where you are in, in terms of uh, your well-being during lockdown um it's quite sort of uh, it's quite apt at the moment it's sort of it really sort of uh gets in there uh that you know the idea of just that, that person spending that amount of time on their own in one place in one set yeah great stuff and, and is is situation you know because i i wrote most of the stories for door um a few years ago now actually while i was still teaching full time so they did take quite a few years to come to fruition the whole collection mm. but um door was quite personal in a way because um 10 years ago i lost my mother to a brain tumor and my head was not in a very good space myself and the following year, my only brother emigrated to America. He'd mm. lived over there previously for several years and come back um, to Wales while she was ill. And so he, he went. And I was taking my elderly dad to Birmingham Airport. And my my dad is quite deaf and he was sitting in the back of the car and we were driving up. And, you know, Blind Avon Mountain? Well, I do because I live in Pontypool. All oh, right. Well, Tony sort of looked across and said to me, look, you know, we started talking about how bleak it was and there was a building up on the top. And we sort of started from there and talked about this character mm. who went to work every day in this abandoned, you know, sort of area and so on. And that was the start of it. But um, if you've read or the brain tumour and that sort of mental angst comes into it. Yes. And it was really the start of, it was quite sort of therapeutic for me in a way, Dor, but it was the start of the sort of portal collection. And I never really wanted to reveal what was behind the door because I wanted to leave that to the reader's imagination. But I hinted at portals then in all the other stories. Mm. And then in Bunker, the final story in the collection, kind of answers where the where door originated because I bring in Bartholomew and um, Brockett again, the the main character. Yeah. And with the you know with the um the bunker, what happened in World War Two and that sort of thing. So it went full circle. And I mean, it, it's it, it's it's gripping. It really, really is gripping. And it, it it I would sort of highly, highly recommend it to um to the listeners. Um now so obviously we've just dived straight in which uh, which is fair give the give our listeners a little bit of a sort of a background about yourself 
um, where it started, you know, for you? Yeah, well, I've always been really interested in reading and writing. Luckily, my mother, she was from a big family. My mother was one of 11 children mm. and she was a clever woman, but she never had any opportunity educationally because of, you know, they, they were, we lived in the valleys and being from a big family. So she always said, like, I want better for my children. So I, she actually taught me to read before I went to school and she was just so wonderful, you know, with imaginative play and everything else. So it all sort of started from there, really, my interest in re reading and writing from when I was very, very young. Um, and then horror wise, I suppose I've always had a dark edge. Um, my <laughs> Don't father, we all? <laughs> yeah. My grandfather was the grave digger. Of Budwalty Church. Oh, now yeah. you see, now that in itself is an opening line for any gothic novel. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and then his son, so my mother's brother, took it on after him. And then his son after him, who still actually works there now, my cousin. Oh, wow. So going to the cemetery for me was a very regular occurrence, and mm. it wasn't scary at all, you know. We, it was just something we always did. And my grandfather and my uncle would be digging away there and so on, you know. So that that was sort of the connection. And I've always been interested in that type of thing. Mm. But you know, So that's really where my interest in the dark sort of started. <laughs> and can you remember um, your sort of, uh, your first sort of, either the first horror film you saw or your first sort of, um, the first time you picked up a horror book or a store, what what, what was yeah. your first first moment? I think as a child, the films were um, Betty Davis oh. um, and John Crawford. Whatever happened to Be uh, to Baby Jane? Oh, but a hag exploitation. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I can remember being really, really young watching that with my mother, and um, so that was sort of early on. And the birds, of course, all those classics like yeah. the birds, you know, um, and then. Book-wise, I, I think the first one that really sticks in my mind was the Manitou, Graham Masterton. Oh, wow. Wow, you yeah. two feet dived straight in. Yeah, I think I was probably about 13 when I read that. And then when I was about 14, um, I started reading James Herbert, The Rats, The Frog, oh. and so on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to let you into a secret here. The, the, well, it's not so much of a secret. I have a massive massive fear of rats all right and it all stems from uh reading james herbert yeah at, at being way too young reading yeah, yeah. reading the rats and the, the what did it for me was the was the uh is the chapter about the homeless person or the drunk right. who falls asleep yeah. and wakes up with the rats eating his legs can you remember what age you were? Um, I was about 10 or 11. Oh, right. So younger than I was then. Oh, so my. I was about 13, 14. God, it oh, And to this day, to this day, it messes me up. Yeah. <laughs> now, I have, bizarrely, I thought, I'm going to get to grips with my fear. And I bought a copy of The Rat. Yeah. And it has sat on my shelf. <laughs> You still can't face it. Just, I just cannot do it. It's like last <laughs> night, um, myself and Louise, we were sat downstairs and we, were, we started watching um, Netflix's amazing documentary on the Night Stalker. 
Right. Um, it is incredible stuff. It oh, is I'll so. I'll it is so good. It is so well done, and in any, it is not salacious in yeah. any way, shape, or form. Um, and it's a, and, it, and it's also a really good police procedural, really right. good police procedural. Um, but instantly. She spotted it before I. There was a rat on the screen. Her hand was straight above my, <laughs> straight over my face. I was like, "What? What?" And she moved it. It was like rat, ah, rat. Ah. And I can even talking about it makes my the hair on the back yeah. of my. But I remember sitting there and reading it and being totally engrossed in it, but being terrified at the same time and not being able to put it down, just not being able to until I'd got to the end to it. It was yeah. almost like if I get to the end to it, it's finished. I don't, I, you know, if I leave it unfinished, it's still going to be there. Um, yeah. <laughs> and the only other book that ever did that for me, um, and to this day, I, I you know, I, anybody who, who, who speaks to me, I always say about, I think The Exorcist is the greatest film ever made. And, oh, yeah. and the book. Yeah. I, I love William Peter Blatty's writing. Um, both um, The Exorcist and Legion are phenomenal books phenomenal books yeah. um, and I don't think Legion gets enough love no uh, that's right I don't think it gets anywhere near enough love but to this day and I've got a first edition copy as well of The Exorcist which I right. which is one of my favourite it's a paper it's a it is battered uh, yeah. paperback of it right up there with my Salem's Lot one um, yeah they are like my they're my two favourite battered books um, but if I'm reading the exercise and I reread it, you know, regularly, um, yeah. I still have to close the book and put it in a drawer. Yeah, because yeah. it because the because the power of it because the power yeah. of those words. Um, so, in a very very long winded way, who are some of the authors for you that did that? Well, talking about The Exorcist, I just sort of go off on this now because you just brought something to mind. In Bargoid, the next village to where I was brought up, yeah. um, back in the, what would it have been, um, late 70s, mm. early 80s, they used to do a midnight movie. And I can remember, we, we'd already seen The Exorcist a few times, but I can remember going to that as a midnight movie. And so you're like, you're walking home then. And, you know, we walked everywhere in those days because we were really young, um, no car or anything. And we walked home at two o'clock in the morning. You had to pass a cemetery. And I've never been afraid of cemeteries, as I said to you at the beginning yeah. of I seem to spend half my life in them. I'm, I'm always sitting in a cemetery reading Poe or something. But, uh, <laughs> I can remember walking past that and the moon was shining on this sort of angel, big cherub thing. And it really was scary. But yeah. um, so books. Well, sorry, I forgot the question. Um, I think I have to. Um, <laughs> authors, the authors that did it for you, you know, that, 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 that sort oh, of yeah. did it for so, you, know, did it for you then or even now even. Yeah, so my favourite authors are Neil Gaiman. Oh, I love yeah. Neil Gaiman's work and listening to him, you know, narrating his own books as well. Tremendous because I, I prefer my horror sort of quite subtle. And mm. um, so I like my scares to come as a bit of a surprise. And the same with films. Yeah. If the violence is all the way through, you know, I sort of I get a bit bored, to be honest with you. So Neil Gaiman and um, Laura Purcell. I love her work. Mm. Um, so they sort of horror, but they're they're sort of magical realism and that sort of and like a lot of historical horror as well. Yeah. Um, Michelle Paver, mm. I love her work. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard of um Kathy Koja. 
She's I, an American writer. Have you? I have heard of Kathy Kocher, but I have never read any of her work. Right. Well, you need to start with, I would recommend starting with her collection that she released, I think it was just last year, called Velocities. It blew my mind. She just really breaks boundaries. And I love, I totally fell in love with her work. Mm. Um, so I read the collection and then she was running, Mia Cat Press, her publisher, were running a competition um, where you had to, so she wrote a novel as well called The Cipher, which was out, I think, ew, a long time ago. And they revamped it this year and re-released mm. it. So as part of that, they ran a competition where you'd win this designer necklace of the hand with the hole in, which was which comes into the book. Yeah. Um, but you had to do a, a piece of art. So I got Tony on that for me and we actually won it. So that oh, was wow. Amazing. That's fantastic. But I, I, lo- I love reading. You know, sometimes it's nice to have sort of an easy read. Mm. I love to read something that I learn from as a writer myself, not to copy, but just to see how they handle things and how they break rules and you yeah. know, manage to get away with it and do it really well. So I love her work. Um, I love Jessie Burton, wrote The Miniaturist. That was so spooky. Yes. Fabulous. Yes. Do you know um, what? Though? I, I don't know. I, I'll make it pillared for this, but you know, there's no change there. Um, I wasn't... My, my wife read The mini, uh, the Miniaturist and loved yeah. it. And I remember us sitting down watching the BBC's version. I uh, haven't seen that. And I, I remember being so disappointed. Yeah. And it, it's got a superb cast. It has a superb cast. Yeah but being really disappointed with it. Yeah. Because I don't think they were able to capture, like you said, that that, that spooky element to it. Yeah, that, that real sort of old Gothic Dutch sort of feel of that mm. house and everything, you know? And and it's funny because um, I, I didn't watch it for that reason because I did bad things, which was a shame, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, one, of the, one of the joys, I, I actually, you know, I've been this year, I get to teach a little bit of English. Yeah. So uh, the the whole thing that we're looking at is, is a gothic literature, right? Um, and it's surprising how young people and particularly teenagers really take to go, to to the gothic, really, yeah. really, really take to the gothic. And it's great because I've, I've got to sort of you know we we went through Poe and we looked at the Telltale Heart and yeah. you know all these wonderful things and it's actually reignited my love of of gothic literature a little bit yeah and um, yeah. and it's surprising actually there are very few examples um that really translate over to the screen from the gothic yeah. i don't know if you find that yeah yeah the... yeah i know what you mean and if i'm going to see anything i much prefer to read the book first yeah i mean there are i think there are some there are very very few examples of um a time of a film being better than the book yeah very few yeah. very very few and far between yeah um like i said for me i think like i said already you know i think william peter blatley's book of the exorcist and the film but then he obviously he wrote he, you know he, he wrote that script as well yeah um yeah. It's front then isn't it yeah and i think you know and i sometimes when you even read i'm a big king fan i'm a big stephen king fan yeah um and actually when you look at the number of adaptions because they are you know they, they, they come thick and fast oh yeah and you look at some of the adaptions of his work then they just they miss so wide of the mark and even at times where king has written some of it itself yeah um, it, it it veers so widely to that side you know that you know away from it yeah. um 
you know, and it it it, it always fascinates me. It's something that always always fascinates me. Yeah, that's right. It's about you know choosing what needs to stay in and what need you know what can go and that I suppose and I don't know. Screenplay is another world, isn't it? Yes, yes, it is. It's painful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've never I've never tried it myself. It, it, yeah, it's Maybe torturous. It's torturous. <laughs> um, now, what am I? favorite books on writing is actually Stephen King's Dance Macabre and it kind of it, it's sort of like a, a mini memoir but also right. it's about his his you know about him talking about writing yeah um and one of the things that sort of stuck with me is the process of writing and those kind of things yeah um do you have a specific process when you write um it sort of goes against my general personality actually because I'm very much a planner, very organised. Uh, I like to meet deadlines way ahead. I'm, I'm a real worrier in, you know, everyday life. Mm. But with writing, I'm complete opposite. Because it's a creative process, I totally, you know, sort of go with the wind, really. I'm not a planner at all. So I, I just start with the stem of an idea and... I tend to lie there in the dark and think about sort of actually sort of visualize it happening. Mm. And sort of that's how the story comes to me. Um, but I don't actually plot. And I know a lot of people, you know, like plot to the nth degree. I just have a very rough outline, make a few notes, because I found in the past that if I plot too much, I just totally change it anyway. So there isn't any point because as I'm going along, the characters tell me where they want to go and what they want to do and what they want to say, rather than, you know, what I've actually plotted for them. Yeah. So that, that's something that is, is re, you know, I really enjoy the fact that it goes against my sort of the way I live my life. Yeah. <laughs> but I do write every day. Um, it might not be particularly writing as in working on the story, but it might be editing or revision, mm. or I might be writing an article or blog post for marketing and so on. But there's never a day, even Christmas Day. I actually tweeted on Christmas Day, am I the only person sad enough to be writing today? Because And, and I wasn't actually, as it, as it turned out. <laughs> but I just can't let it go. I have to do some something every single day. So I would say it's more like I don't, now I'm not working full time. I don't actually need to sit there all weekend mm. but it's more like little and often and if I'm really in the flow of a story I can go a few hours so you know? you, I mean like one of the things that King sort of talks about is like he has a set number of words that he does a day yeah do you do, or do you just write until it till there's nothing I don't yeah that's it that's it I, I haven't read that one that you're talking about but I have read his um book called on writing and that was really really interesting yeah 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 yeah, it, yeah. It, 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 it's no I don't give myself a limit because I'm so like that I'm such a control freak in my normal life that it's really nice to be the opposite and so if I hit 200 words it's 200 words but then it might be 2000 yeah. it's just whatever feels right for me you know I'll come to a stop maybe I wouldn't stop particularly mid chapter mm. i mean so yeah. th th i just come to a point where i feel that's a, the right place to stop for the day and then i'll just jot underneath a few notes of where i'm going next yeah yeah and, and i like to go away on my own and, and think about the next bit and actually visualize it yeah it's it's really interesting i shared um when when i was writing the script for school slaughter um yeah. i remember giving you know giving it to the ad one of the drafts to the to my ad um derek um, and he was like, wow, you just brain vomit don't you? <laughs> when you write, because it was, and, 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 and it generally is, and I find that I just go, blah, 
and then have to piece it all together afterwards. Um, Do you find editing, so going back to King, where he talks about having to kill your children, kill your babies when it comes to editing, do you find that difficult or is it something that sort of has become second nature for you? I quite like the editing and revision process. I like making it more perfect. It's never perfect, is it, ever? But um, I do really enjoy that part of it just as much, actually, as first draft. Mm. So... Do do you ever find it really hard, though? Do you ever come across something where you sort of, you've written, you've written something that you think, oh, God, I I really love that. And then you realise, oh, it doesn't quite work. It doesn't quite fit. Do you ever have to, do you you ever have the inner conflict or you were just like, it's got to go? Yeah, if it it had to go, it would would just go for me. But then I'm not really a sort of blur onto the page person. I tend to, I tend to sort of be much more considerate as I'm writing. Mm. So I write maybe a paragraph or a few paragraphs and then I'll go back, not not particularly edit it, but go back and read it through and and how would see how it flows and, and so on. So I sort of I'm sort of constantly editing in a way. Mm. You know? Mm. Now, yeah, no, I, I would wouldn't be afraid of getting rid of something that needed to go. Yeah. I mean it, it, it made me like it, it, I still chuckle about it now. Um and that the, there was a couple of moments, there's a couple of things that I've that i that I wrote um for uh, for the you know for the screenplay and things and i remember just, it took i think it took me about 4 weeks to actually finally pull the plug on like certain characters and things it was just like yeah. i genuinely felt like i'd taken them outside and executed them myself it yeah, was yeah. it was just that sort of oh this is this is painful brutal yeah yeah See, I'm sort of like slightly more cheating when it comes to that, because I think if I really loved something, a certain passage or a scene, I would tend to make the rest of it work so that it could stay in. Mm, mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, you mentioned uh, historical fiction uh, and I'm, a, I'm I love I love historical fiction. Yeah, uh, I'm a big fan of it. Um, do you is that something that you've always loved or is this something that as sort of uh, because I think as a genre itself, it's really de- blossomed over the years and then sort of it, it become its own sort of genre itself. Um, yeah. Is it something that you um, is this something you've always loved or is this something that sort of developed or, over the years? Yeah, I've no, I've loved historical fiction since childhood. I always felt, as um, probably a lot of people say this, but I've always felt my whole life that I was born in the wrong era. Mm. And I've I've had dreams powerful. I'm terrible for dreams, but I've had powerful dreams in the past of being alive during more like a Victorian period. It just feels more natural to me, just even the way I write with language. Mm. I find it more difficult actually to write a story set in modern day than I do a story set, you know, 100 or 200 years ago. I, I have no idea really why that is. But, um, you know, but that's just always been natural for me. Like my my, my book, my novella that's coming out, I actually had um, a publication date off the publisher today, which oh, was wow. nice. That, so July the 15th, um, my novella called in motel is coming out with off limits press they're a niche american publisher Mm. and they just um publish horror fiction they just do a few a year but they're really really good at marketing and they their authors have done really well you know because they're very selective so that is set around 1900 there's no precise date you know it doesn't actually 
particularly link with historical events other mm. than there are a few it's, it's obvious when you read it that um, it's set you know in the past and I mentioned a few ceramicists from the time and so on but um, that's set in the past you know and I can, I can talk about that if you I don't want to bore you but no um, no please do please do okay. what, what is the so July the 15th you've got a new no, uh, no, uh, novella coming out what's the title yeah. it's called Immortel I double M O R T E double L E. So um, during Victorian times, I don't know if you've ever seen them. They quite um, they quite common in cemeteries, particularly up here where I live in West Wales. Mm. The, the sort of graveyards are very, very old, but they started in Europe, then they spread to Britain and, and America as well. They're actually ceramic memorials. They call, they're called immortals because they meant as a, you know, immortal, basically, and mm. um, permanent memorial to the dead. Yeah. So they're arranged on a base, and usually they consist of things like they're generic, actually, they ceramic flowers and birds and so on, and then they're covered with a glass dome. Have you right. ever seen Yes, I have. I mean, I yeah. know this. I know this is going to sound like a, a very strange uh, conversation. Um, I don't know if, because originally I'm from Aberdeer. Um, right. Don't panic, people of Pontypool. I have had my injections <laughs> and I have been allowed to cross the border. Um, but the the cemetery, Aberdeer Cemetery, um, there are some fascinating uh, graves. Uh, uh, graves there, yeah. um, and there are some wonderful, almost sort of mausoleums. And yeah. enormous um, uh, sort of, like I said, ceramic statue, those kind of things there. And they yeah. do have lots of those there. I never That's... knew what the name of them was. So thank uh-huh, you. For... There we are. And you'll often see them covered with a wire cage now yes. as well. Yes, yes. glass, yeah. I mean, now they're obviously, you know, you'll get weeds growing through and the wire's gone rusty and the glass is smashed and yeah. so on. Yeah, But But they fascinate me. Well, originally... They were just made by the funeral directors, right? So they were all the same. But in my head, I imagined a ceramicist personalising them for Mm. individual graves so that the memorial reflected the person who was dead. Wow. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) And Tony, my husband, part of his um, arts degree was ceramics. So he has a bit of background knowledge that he could help me with there with as far as glazes go and so Mm. on. So I started life, Immortel started life as a short story. And um, have you heard of Munt, the little tiny little white church on the coast of West Wales? It's actually a little hamlet, Munt. It's just a farm and very few houses. And then right on top of the sea is a white church. It's very, very old with a little graveyard. Well, it's only 15 minutes in the car from us. It's oh, wow. Near- Quite near to Cardigan. It's a bit of a drive to get to. You've got to drop down a very narrow lane, you know, and you're surrounded by sheep and so on. But yeah. it's, it's, it's an incredible little place. It really is. Now, going as an aside, you know, um, Ray Thomas, the Moody Blues? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, he married his second wife in Munt Church. And then when he died in, I think it was 2018, I might be wrong there, but I mm. think it was 2018, he had his funeral ceremony there as well. Though wow. he is not buried there. So I'm assuming that afterwards he was cremated and his ashes taken somewhere. I don't really know because he hasn't actually got a grave there. Mm. But um, his grandfather was a Welsh miner. Right. And, and then he, he, he did, um, he, he was a wood carver, worked on the church as well. So that's a bit of a a link there. But anyway, this place really sort of it just really stimulates you if you if you go there. You know, it's it's incredible. It's so primeval. 
Mm. So, so I imagine, so that was my setting right up on the cliff top. And I imagine the ceramicist, you know, to make, to personalise these immortelles. Well, the short story I wrote was published last year in an anthology called Dead Awake. Mm. And it was told from the point of view of a, a child ghost. Yeah. Who's fascinated with these immortelles. But then I, I loved that story so much and it stayed with me that I developed it into a novella. So it's completely changed from this uh, short story. And it's told from the point of view of the ceramicist, a female who... I don't want to give too much away, but basically, um, as a means of coming to terms with her own tremendous grief, mm. she creates the first immortel for someone she has lost. And it's, there's quite a lot of magical realism in the story as well. So yeah. the elements that she puts into the immortel are personal, personalised, such as snowdrops with tiny bells in because of the symbolism of um, the spiritual nature of snowdrops. And then she puts in a starling, a young starling, which is supposed to be the voice, be able to bring, carry the voice of the dead, those that are dead. So she starts with one that, you know, is meaningful for her and sort of builds up a business. So anyone who dies in the vicinity, she'll make them for them sort of thing. So the story is told from her point of view. Um, it's, it's sort of it's, it's very got a very gothic horror feel, mm. you know. Um, and I totally changed it from the first short story. As I said, it's got a completely different outcome. And there's um, I, I like I love putting in elements of religion gone wrong. Yeah, that's yeah. quite that's quite dominant in my stories as well, you know. Um, so. I, I just basically uh, off limits press were open for submissions and I sent I think I had to send off the first 30 pages I think that's what most of them are mm. and it said um, that you know you should do within six weeks and two days later Samantha the owner of off limits press literally two days later I was visiting my dad at the time in the valleys yeah. and she sent me an email saying I love it can I have the rest of it so I was like just so thrilled and I couldn't send it to her for two days until we came home and I sent it off and she within a couple of weeks then she just said yes I want to publish it I love it you know so so we've gone from there really that's that's fantastic yeah. That is absolutely fantastic. So, listen, you know, and we'll make sure we get this in at the end as well. So remember, guys, July the 15th, uh, Catherine's new novella, Immortel, is going to be out. So, uh, you know, keep your eyes out for that. That sounds yeah. fantastic. I love, it's fascinating, isn't it? How, our, you know, love of the past, love of, you know, can inspire and how individual places can sort of, sort of almost recharge our creativeness. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's usually either for me, the the original stimulus either comes from a dream because I have such weird dreams that I've turned many into stories or it's actually a place we visit, you know, because we lucky you. As you know, I, I was from the valleys originally, mm. spent most of my life there. But three years ago, we moved here and we have, you know, pretty much free time now. So we go and find all these little out of the way places. Yeah. And with hardly anybody around and they're so inspirational. Absolutely, and I mean for us, um, Glastonbury is, um, is is a key and is a very very important place, and we got married in Glastonbury. Oh, nice! Um, it's just gone so busy though, isn't it? It, it, it yeah, it has. You got to pick your times when to go, um, yeah. and we've got lots of you know we we've got friends there now, and we know lots of people there, and 
you know, we got married in the goddess temple and things. And, oh, nice. you know, it's, it's, it, for me, I sort of, I find I, I get a creative charge yeah. out of being there yeah. and sort of where you go to like, sort of, you go to the tour and yeah. you go to Chalice Wells and yeah. you go to, you know, uh, White Springs and those places. Um, and then you get to go to, you know, there's the, the, the other little sort of side, you know, little places that you can just go and not many people heard of and yeah. those kind of things. It, it's fascinating. Um, but like you see, you know, it's interesting you talk about Blenavon. I've always found um, Blenavon an incredible place to be. Um, because like you said, there, there, there's a sort of, it's bleak at times, but there's an absolute yeah. beauty to it as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we were we were there. You know, just before lockdown, and we were sort of up by the Keeper's Lake, and the mist was in, and it was—it's just absolutely stunning. And it yeah. looks like it could just go on forever. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know, and all that sort of tussock grass that's around, and just yes. you know, it's, it's it is very very bleak, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and they, you sort of, you know, it's almost sort of like a Withering Heights esque on the moors kind of feel to it. Yeah, it, yeah, it's it's it, it's beautiful, and I, and it sort of, it does get the it does get the um, get the creative juices flowing in 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 so many ways. Yeah, it's very American werewolf in London sort of feel up there, isn't it? Yes, you do expect somebody to sort of leap out and sort of say, "Stick to the path." Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but um, before Immortel comes out in the summer, I'm hoping to get my next collection published. But I'll be self-publishing that because the majority of the stories in in there have already been published in small press anthologies. Mm. Mm. So that's going to be called um, Mists and Megaliths. Wow, that's a good title. And that's going to contain about 10 stories. I can tell you a bit about those if you want. Absolutely, or... feel free. Okay, so the whole collection is set in Wales, in various parts of Wales. Um, one of the stories will be called Carrig Samson. Mm. And that was published in an anthology this year by um, a group of British writers, one of which was me, obviously. Yeah. It's, it was the anthology was called Diabolica Diabolica Britannica. I don't know if you came across it. Yes. But, yeah. Well, we released that anthology for um, NHS research, so all the proceeds, hundred percent of the proceeds, went to NHS to help with the COVID. Um, you know, the, the all, all that they were trying to raise for that. Mm. So, Carrick Samson, my story is the first story in. Diabolica Britannica so that's one that will be going in there and that's um, the megalith or the cromlech that's in Abercastle yes on on the West Wales coast yeah that, that's not too far from us about 10 you know, about probably about 20 miles away something like that well no not that actually probably about 15 miles mm. and it's a place Abercastle is a tiny little fishing village and this you know cromlech stands right up on the coast path overlooking the sea and whenever I've gone there, I've always sort of, I'm terrible for personifying inanimate objects. <laughs> and I think of the stories from their point of view. So I look at this, you know, this this great Cromlech and see it gazing out to sea that has been there for literally thousands and thousands of years. And I think of all the changes that it's seen over time. Mm, yeah. So that was um, where that story started from. I mean that's a fascinating idea in itself, isn't it? That I and I'm a, I, I love the idea of, and it, it, you know the, this idea that you know we look at certain objects that have been there for ever, you know, yeah. hundreds of thousands and you know years, and you sort of even if we look at some of the buildings 
um, particularly scattered throughout sort of South Wales. And, the, you know, yeah. you think about what's gone on in some of these buildings and like the sort of, without getting too woo-woo and things, yeah. but like that idea of, you know, very much the idea of hauntology, um, that sort of idea of places resonating uh, and absorbing various energies and those kind of things. Yeah, and, and sort of then, you know, I mean, one of my favourites, um, sort of, you know, I, I'm a big fan of folk horror. Um, yeah, I love folk horror. Um, and like the sort of, you know, and, M, and people like M.R. James and... Yeah, you know, yeah, that's right. And one of my yeah. fav- There's a lot of that feel in Mists and Megaliths. A lot of my stories in that, because it's, to- it's completely different to Door. Mm. There's a lot of folk horror in this one. And I, you know, one of, the th- one of my favourites was uh, the Stone Tapes. From the seventies, right. the TV series The Stone Tapes, right? Um, and it's this idea that they're in the you know the, the, these group of sort of they're scientists, but they're actually uh, approaching the paranormal from a very very scientific view, and they're in yeah. this one building where this event is continu- is being continually replayed. This ghostly apparition appears, and it's the same yeah. thing over and over again. But what actually they're talking about is that this in this building is this it's absorbed this horrific event. Yeah. And that the stones are actually playing back yeah, like a yeah. tape. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's totally the sort of thing I love. You know, that idea is it, it's so powerful. It's such a, such a strong, rich idea. Yeah. And, that, and you sort of, you go to some buildings, um, you know, and you can almost sort of, you know, it, it, it's possibly, you know, it's, it's far more psychological than sort of, uh, than ghosts and ghouls and those kind of things. But you can feel it. You can feel the energy in the, in certain buildings. You can sort of, y- you know something. You, you can't sort of be in that building and think, actually, it's just a building. But yeah. it's far more than that. It's the, you know, that idea. And like you said, the personification of things. Yeah. That's yeah. a wonderful idea. It's a great, 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 great idea. Oh, I, I, lo- I love that sort of thing. It just comes naturally, you know. And um, I was really lucky with that story because Ramsey Campbell wrote the foreword for us. Yes. Yes. And I mean, he's tremendous. He's, he's He must have literally thousands and thousands of people following him, but he, he's so obliging, you know, and he, mm. he was incredibly, he read, personally read every single story and commented personally on, on each one. And what he said about Carrick Sampson, I was just so thrilled. It was like my highlight so far, you know, yeah. he was so, he was incredible. So that was really, really lovely. I mean, it's into you know particularly when you sort of look at um the history uh, you know you could if we delve delve into a little bit into sort of uh welsh folklore and welsh um yeah. welsh ghosts and ghost stories and those kind of things there's such a rich vein um that i don't think it's exploited halfway you know people don't sort of i think i don't know if exploit is the right word but people yeah. don't delve into it enough yeah, yeah. You know, and you look at like, so there's some wonderful creatures. That, oh, definitely. You know, one of my personal favourites is the Gorahi Riban. You know, right. the, 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 the sort of almost, it's like the Welsh vampire. Yeah. Um, or, you know, she, this, this idea that this creature is like the sort of the personification of death. And yeah. that it, she either sort of, you know, if you see her, there is likely to be death in the future for, for you. Yeah, yeah. Or she is directly responsible for your death. You know, yeah, for, yeah. for the point of view, she kills you. Um, yeah. But there's, you know, all the goblin eye. Um, yeah. Do you know what I mean? The, 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 yeah. The, you know, the, the Tulteg, um, these wonderful, wonderful creatures in this sort of, this rich folklore that's out there that doesn't sort of, doesn't get delved into. 
Um, That's right. I, th- I think, you know, Wales, we, we have got an endless source, really, of inspiration, haven't we? We are lucky, you know, because there's so much age, you know, so much very, very old stuff here, you know, buildings and everything. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you, we, you know, we dive in, you know, we go all the way back to, like, prehistory. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you, yeah. you think about, and sort of, the, you know, Welsh language itself doesn't fall into sort of, you know, it doesn't follow the normal sort of path of Celtic languages. You know, it comes from the Brythonic sort yeah, of yeah. origins. And you just think, well, okay, yeah. this definitely isn't going to, you know, you read or you read the Mabinogion and yeah. you read the stories, in the, you know, some of the Mabinogai in there. Yeah. It's um, it's fascinating. It is yeah, fa- definitely. It is a yeah. fascinating one. So out of all the characters you've written, do you have any personal favourites? Um... At the moment, I think it would have to be um, the ceramicist in Immortel because that's so dominant in my mind at the moment. And mm. her name is Eleanor. Um, and I, I was imagining if that was ever turned into a screenplay. You know Ava Green from Penny Dreadful? Yes. She yes. would be my ideal person because Eleanor is, is quite a, a dark person, really, and I, she would be my ideal to play Eleanor. And then I think I'd have... There's a priest in there as well called Father Kendrick, and I'd have Luke Evans playing him. See, you know, Pontypool boy. Well, uh, Luke, Luke Evans, I was actually brought up four doors from me in wow. Square Street, Yeah, there, well, there we are then. I mean, his family is still here uh, in Pontypool. You know, it's um, he's a fabulous actor. He's a fabulous yeah, actor, guess, and, yeah. and, I, and I mean, the the Pembrokeshire murder. Um, right, yeah, yeah, it's just superb. I lo- I'm just gonna sleep completely against odds with 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 everything that pops up in the podcast, but I loved him as Gaston. Yes, yeah, me too. Yeah, I thought he was absolutely superb. Yeah, and the Alienist. Yeah, great, great yeah. series. And yeah. and again, I think that kind of goes under the radar a little bit. Yeah, I love the Alienist. Fabulous, totally yeah. up my street. But Penny Dreadful was my favourite. Did you watch the City of Angels? No. There's, it's the set. It's like the sort of the spin-off series. All right, yeah. Um, and it's set in the 1940s, uh, in Los Angeles at the just before the well, sort of thing. Um, and it's it delves into like the sort of um, uh, Santa uh, sort of Santa Murta kind of um, um sort of um idea you know, a religion and sort of the good versus evil and demons and those kind of things yeah um and it's set at, just at the onset of um world war Two, where actually um people forget that there was quite a, you know there was a relatively large fall you know a group of people who were you know were were nazis and they're sort of the yeah. German-American bunt, those kind of things. Yeah. Um, and it follows that, and it follows two um, detectives. Um, one of them is Nathan Lane, who right. I adore Nathan Lane. Yeah. He is just a tremendous actor. Um, you know, the you know, he, he, Timon, of course, from... Uh, uh, from the, the voice of Timon in The Lion King and the producer, right. you know, Mel Brooks is, uh, you know, he's, he's wonderful in The Producers. Probably if I saw his face now, I'd get him straight away, but the name isn't coming to me. Um, and, you know, the birdcage, um, yeah. you know, he's um, he's a, it's, he's just he's just a wonderful actor. Yeah. Uh, and it's not a role that you'd expect him to be playing as a rough, gruff um, right. LA detective, but it's, it's great. It's excellent. Uh, and it only got one season, sadly. Um, oh, right. But it's 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 definitely worth a look. It does take the Penny Dreadful um, sort of uh, universe uh, on an interesting turn. 
Yeah. Um, but it's definitely worth a look. I've jotted it down now, so I'll definitely look it up. Yeah, definitely, definitely worth it. Um, so what are the, you know, what are the, you know, when we sort of, we're talking about film and television, what are some of your, what are some of your favourite horror films? Oh, well, I really enjoyed that Bone Tomahawk the other night that oh. we were talking about briefly on Twitter, yeah? Yes, it's, it's, it, it, yeah, we've got, oh, the episode's going to be coming out in, in um, uh, week after, either beginning of next week or the, or, or the week after. It's, yeah. it's great. It's great. What I like about it was, like I said to you earlier, you know, if, if there's too much violence constantly, I actually get bored by it and I tend to, you know, it's just not yeah. my sort of thing. But those scares when they came, they were sort of unexpected, you know, and they were really, really violent. And I'd rather that, you know, less often and not really see them come in and then it really gets you. So it's that's the impact, that isn't I it? I really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, in 2020, I think my, my favourite movie of 2020 was The Lighthouse with yeah. Willem Dafoe, Robert yeah. Pattinson, really yeah, yeah. weird, yeah. filmed in black and white. Do you know the one I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you're on about. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't seen The Witch because apparently the, the Witch Robert is, Eggers, isn't it? It's Robert Eggers. Robert Eggers is a stunning filmmaker. Stunning yeah. filmmaker, and The Witch is stunning. I've it got is to see that. Absolutely stunning. Yeah, the, and that's... it's one of my favourite soundtracks as well. Yeah, right. Yeah, it is stunning, and the level of authenticity yeah to it and the the attention to detail and uh, yeah. you know and even down to the use of language yeah um it does take a little bit of tuning into yeah but it's it's absolutely superb um yeah. and you know um i won't spoil it for you if you haven't seen it no but it's, it's on my it's on my list after seeing the lighthouse i've got to see it it is and it's beautiful to look at. Yeah, it is beautiful nice. to look at, and it's um, it is it, it's a great film. It yeah. is a great, great, great film. Um, yeah, Robert Eggers is a great filmmaker. Yeah, um, it's interesting how some of his films do divide audiences. Yeah, um, yeah, oh, but... definitely. Because I remember tweeting about the lighthouse, and some people were thought it was horrendous. You know, really yeah. hated it, and it was a love hate thing. Definitely, yeah, the response. Yeah, and it's sort of you gotta, you gotta. I think you, for some filmmakers, you can just pick up their film and you you can you can just you can just walk straight in. Yeah, yeah. You can you you know you know you know exactly what you were gonna get. Um, if you walk into a James Wan film, for example, you yeah. walk into the Conjuring universe and you know what you're gonna get. You're gonna get yeah. lots of jump scares. You're gonna get um, something that that's visually very arresting. Um, but when you come to Robert Eggers movies, you are going to have to do a little bit of thinking. You're exactly. going to have to, um, it's not a light watch. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, it, 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 the number of times that, you know, for example, we can talk, you know, it, it's one of the joys of doing this podcast is we get to talk about the witch and then equally we get to talk about cannibal Holocaust. Um, yeah, yeah. It, we, the, the, from one end of the spectrum to the yeah, other yeah. Um, but it is a thing you, you do need to have your thinking cap on yeah uh, but that's what I like though I like that in film and books as well like I was saying to you earlier about you know what, what I chose to read I like it to sort of stretch me that little bit yeah yeah and to and go I, from it and go away and still be thinking about it once you've left it yeah absolutely absolutely um, I am a sucker mind you for a good um, I 
I suppose, simple reads or even on, leaning on the trashier end of things as yeah, well. Yeah, it's nice to have a bit of both, though, isn't it? You know, one of my favourite one of my favourite authors is Guyen Smith. Right. Um, and he, you know, if you look at sort of like the, the paperback from hell sort of yeah. books and you look at the gaudy 1970s, early 80s, um paperback collection and you look at some of the some of the images on there um yeah. and he, you know some of his favorite one of my favorites is like entombed um which is but an nice. ancient egyptian curse brought into sort of suburbia um yeah. and it's brilliant it's absolutely brilliant but it's just easy entertainment absolutely absolutely yeah. um but equally um i love things that are a little bit more challenging yeah um, you know where you where you do need to do a little bit of thinking um um, I've got you know, um, you know, some of my favorite. Like I said, Legion is one of my favorite reads. Yeah, um, but that's not something you pick up and just go, oh yeah, I'll just. Uh, oh, exactly. Yeah. You know, and uh, I've got Robin, uh, you know, um, uh, Professor Hutton's uh, books on um, pagan Britain and those kind of things. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, they're not um, they're not easy reads by any yeah. stretch, but they're fabulous. Yeah. They're fabulous yeah fabulous no go on sorry i interrupted go on i I should say just nice to have a bit of a change isn't it you know oh absolutely absolutely like other other films i love pan's labyrinth oh just stunning film it's a stunning film and and again guillermo del toro is you know if you think he can give you hellboy and hellboy 2 um and you know uh, the you know blade 2 yeah. And then equally, then he'll give you Kronos and yeah. Pan's Labyrinth and the Devil's yeah. Backbone um, and, you know, The Shape of Water. Yeah. Th- these richly beautiful films, richly yeah. beautiful. Yeah. But that's sort of my sort of thing. And, and I love um, The Village with Jock in Phoenix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so not really, you know, but sort of like, like I said to you before, you know, the subtle horror then, you know? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and I love, this isn't really, well, it isn't horror, actually, but I love the atmosphere, and I, I've watched this film so many times, and I know he's unpopular at the moment, but The Ninth Gate with Johnny Depp. Yes, yeah. Do you I know love what? I mean, talk about a Marmite film there. You've got Johnny Depp and Roman yeah. Polanski in one go. Exactly, I just love it, and that, that building, you know, the place they go to in, I think it's Spain, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. France, I can't remember now, but um, I, I just love it. And I think the setting with the bookshop at the start and that as well. I just really love that film. I can practically mine to some of it. Yeah. I've seen it many times. You know? And I love Frank Langella. I think Frank yeah. Langella yeah. is a oh, he's amazing. Yeah. And he's one yeah, of my yes. favourite Draculas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I got Dracula on the list, actually. I mean, that's a classic, isn't it? You know, the Wicker Man, Dracula. And like from the, what would it be, 80s, The Lost Boys. Oh, yeah. We, um, my, me and uh, Louise, we sat down and we got the big screen out in the projector. I had a brand new projector for Christmas. All oh, right. My... We watch on a projector on a wall. Yeah, yeah. We got a big, we got a nice pop up screen as well. So, yeah. you know, absolutely spot rotten for Christmas, to be fair. Um, yeah. Thank you, mother in law. Um, <laughs> but watching it on the big screen, on a projector, is. Exactly. Just... 
you just get so much from it. That's all we ever watch on because we haven't actually got TV anymore. We chose not to because it was so, such rubbish. So we've just got a projector and, and a whole wall in our spare room up, upstairs, which has become our sort of TV sitting room. But it isn't a TV because it's a whole projector wall and it's exactly like being in your own cinema. Fantastic. That's fantastic. That's how we watch everything. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> I just need to make a quick correction. I said Robert Hutton, Ronald Hutton. Sorry. All right. Um, yeah. He's one of my favourites, Ronald Hutton. Yeah. And um, yeah. his um, and his you know I find his work is is, is really inspirational. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is great stuff. Um, so any others? Any other filmmakers that sort of leap out for you? Um, just lot, lots of those old like like this one wasn't very popular. I know on reviews, but I really enjoyed this film, The Wolfman. Oh, the um, yes, Richard yeah. Toro, yeah. I yeah. really enjoyed that. You know, you can't always go by what other people like, can you? You know, you've got to look for it for yourself. But I really loved the atmosphere in that. Yeah, I mean, you know, hey, you're talking to somebody who will you know, happily, you know, <laughs> regularly yeah. sits anything. and watches yeah. anything by yeah. Charles Band. So, um, you yeah. know. Yeah. And The Woman in Black with Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah, I love the ITV version, Bill. i got to be yeah. honest. I yeah. thought the ITV version is phenomenal. Yeah. And in terms of folk horror... I think that is a seminal piece. Yeah, it is, yeah. I think it's a sem- just so bloody frightening. Yeah, yeah. And that's a bit sort of jump scare, but not all the time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And the book itself is great. Oh, it's tremendous, yeah. It's, and yeah. it's only short. It's only a quick yeah, read. It's yeah. a quick read, but oh, it, powerful. Yeah. it is powerful. And um, then, of course, there's those old ones, isn't it? You know, The Night of the Hunter. I mean, oh, you know, you wouldn't even sort of maybe class it as horror, but it's, it is really. Oh, it, 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 without a shadow of a doubt, that yeah. is, you know. And Psycho, you know, you can't go wrong with a good Psycho, can you? No, no. And I mean, do you know, people people sort of dismiss the sequels to yeah, the yeah. Psycho films. Actually, yeah. the oh, they're really good. Psycho 2 is yeah. superb. And even Psycho, uh, you know, um, I think it's Psycho 3. Yeah. Um, uh, which was directed, I think it's Mark uh, McGarris. McGarris right. directed Cycle 3, and I think um, it, it's superb. It's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. No, we enjoyed all of those, thank yeah. you. Now, for you, have you, you know, what is the moment? Do you ever have, do you ever sort of been reading something or been watching something and you have the aha moment? That's, you know, you watch something that has stayed with you or read something that has really just stayed with you. Can you think of any of those moments? Oh, tricky. Um, no, just all those things I've mentioned already, really, rather than a particular moment. Nothing jumps to mind, you know? Mm, yeah, yeah. Just, just, there's so many. It's hard to pin down to one. Do you have a favourite favorite point in literature, you know, in, in a you know a favourite chapter in a book or a favourite sequence in a book or something that really sort of has stayed with you? Mm, again, no, not really. Sorry, <laughs> it's fine. Don't, don't you worry. <laughs> Just don't sort worry. of my, more like the general feel of the whole thing, you know. I mean, there's certain scenes that maybe you visualise that come back, but um, I tend to sort of evaluate it as a whole. Mm, yeah. Same with books, you know. Yeah, I think some of it. I think sometimes, um, I think we can be guilty, can't we, of over analysing things? And I know yeah. sort of, uh, it's really. What I remember uh, not long ago, one of my students for media studies said to me you've ruined film for me and i was like what you said i can't watch anything now without dissecting it yeah Uh, i thought my work is done 
thank you. Yeah, it is, it is, yeah, it is. But that is the same with books, isn't it? I find that since, you know, I've been writing much more, you know, since I've had the time and I, I, I do the same then. I think, oh, as I'm reading along, I think, oh, Mr. Comma, I think, oh, slipped into past tense. I think, oh, I wouldn't have used that word. I would use this word or they could get rid of the was there, you know, it, yeah. it, it, and all those ridiculous things. But, you know, I do find it hard to switch off. Yeah, uh, sort yeah. of editor side of you. Yeah, well, and I mean that that is an that's an incredible talent uh, <laughs> to be able to do because, like I said, I find it the most torturous process ever. Oh, do you, yeah. oh no, yeah. Do, yeah, I yeah. find it torturous. You know, you know, like I said, killing your babies. Yeah. Now, before we wrap things up, um, obviously we've talked. You know, we need to make sure everybody remembers July fifteenth. Uh, your novella Immortel is out. Yeah, uh, from and hopefully, um, Mists and Megaliths should be around at April. I'm hoping. Absolutely. Where else can the good people find you on the interwebs? And okay. The, you know the information Super A470. Where where can they find you? So everything is on my own website. Though I will say, at the moment, we haven't got the mobile version app, so you won't find it on the phone. Um. Just, just Google Catherine McCarthy author, and I'll pop up there. Um, every, you know, I've got every book link there. I've got animations and images linked from there. Bits of news. It's quite a good website, I will say, because Tony, my husband, did it. But um, he's he's quite an expert, having worked in our field for so many years. So I am really, really proud of my website. Everything links to Amazon from there. Um, so my website's the first port of call. Um, we are going to do the mobile version, but it doesn't transfer very well sort of naturally because of all the animations and stuff that we've got on there. So that's another job. Um, I've also got a YouTube channel where I read. I've got a Christmas two two Christmas stories on there, actually, that I've narrated and little extracts. I've got a really silly little um animation on there that we did um lots of lots and bits of pieces on my youtube channel um i'm on twitter facebook uh instagram goodreads everywhere basically everywhere everywhere yeah. Catherine, thank you so much for oh, coming on you, it's Hale. been wonderful chatting with you this morning and like you've got an open door invitation to come back anytime Oh, brilliant. So, so thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Really, really from the heart. Thank you very much. No worries. Now, you have a good but, day. Oh, please. No, go on. I I'm just going to say, you let me know when this goes out. Absolutely. Of course I will. You brilliant. have a good day. And Take you care too, now. Ta-ra now. Bye-bye. Ta-ra. Bye. As always, I want to say a very big thank you to my special guest on this episode. Catherine, thank you so much. And you have a Open door invitation to come back anytime. Don't forget, guys, her new uh, novella is going to be out on the 15th of July. Immortel is going to be released from uh, via Off Limits Press. Uh, she's also got Mists and Megaliths, uh, Megaliths, a collection of short stories due out very, very soon. So go and check them out. Thank you so much for joining me, guys. Remember, stay safe, wash your hands, keep distance from each other, be kind to each other. And in the immortal words of Count Dacula, good night out there, whatever you are. <laughs>